What ho, podcast pals, and welcome back to Discontent Provider, the show that would frankly much prefer it if you said from the get-go that you hated your present, rather than dissembling, plastering on a rictus grin of faux gratitude, and setting us both up for a year of slow-burning resentment. We always keep the receipt, so it's really no big deal. Uh, well, I trust your festive celebrations have been more or less okay, cats and kittens, as regular imbibers from this stagnant oasis of low-key horror and relentless mordancy, we realise that you're used to setting your expectations fairly low, so we guess that you were spared the worst ravages of disappointment at least, unlike the holly jolly set whose baffling merriment seems unabated year on year despite experiencing the same family quarrels, appalling weather and poorly thought out gift choices. Is it that they won't learn or that they can't learn? I neither know nor care, but seeing their starry-eyed determination to have a perfect Christmas deflating into a torpid gloom as they say, come Boxing Day, it was a bit shit, really. Certainly does this lad a power of good, and is far more sustaining to the spirit than a fistful of discounted liqueur chocolates and a lukewarm snowball. For what it's worth, Arkham and I had something of a shocker. As the only members of the family who weren't laid low by a particularly ghastly strain of influenza, we spent most of the uh, last few days ferrying various nostrums and hot water bottles up and down the stairs and uh, thanks to torrential rain couldn't even get out and about to exchange weary seasonal pleasantries with other dude and dog duos taking the chance to gulp in air unsullied by flatulence and the sullen rancour of quality family time. These trying circumstances, along with a last-minute paroxysm of technophobia, conspired to prevent us from putting together a live episode, as I'd rashly speculated uh, that we might do. I'm sorry about that to everyone who was agog for our review of KC3's words of wisdom. Uh, In our defence, however, I think it's fair to say that the whole thing would almost certainly have been doomed to failure from the jump, and listening to even a brief display of technical incompetence interspersed with reverberating silences and choking sobs laden with even more than the usual level of profanity would scarcely have been an edifying experience for anyone involved. So let us never speak of the matter again. With the living dead of the household restored to intermittent perpendicularity, however, we now do have the time to pick over the bones of Chuck's Yuletide address. And that, I rather fancy, is as apt a metaphor for the whole thing as one could hope to find. Because, as you may have spotted yourselves, there wasn't much meat on the fucker, was there? The first, and one of the few notable uh, topics that our jug sovereign tackled, was that Christmas is a time when we remember those who are no longer with us. While this is doubtless true, it seemed like a rather cynical opening gambit. Essentially, he was both reminding the great British public that while many may feel that he's something of an isolated, out-of-touch, emotionally stunted weirdo, they really ought to try to take him seriously out of a sense of loyalty or affection to his mater. Of course, I wouldn't say that the late Liz was everybody's money, but she was, it can't be denied, an absolute and consummate professional who knew the gig inside out and played her meaningless role to the hilt. So while she may have lacked a measure of warmth, spontaneity or anything that could pass for humanity, one could at least admire the technical excellence with which she carried out her duties. 
you know, rather like listening to an Eric Clapton guitar solo on the fifth night of an eight-day run at the Royal Albert Hall. If Clapton were possibly a shape-shifting lizard with an unslakable thirst for human blood. It was also, let's face it, a rather barefaced ploy at garnering sympathy. I'm just an orphan, still struggling to come to terms with loss, grief and a bewildering panoply of pointless ritualism that the cats and kittens of Gorman Gas Castle would think a little bit silly, he seemed to me to be saying. I wouldn't objectively say that some billionaires with much-evidenced clandestine back-channels to parliamentary legislation are less deserving of sympathy than others as a rule, but it really did seem that he was milking it a little, don't you think? Having thus established his bona fides as an actual human being, a performance enhanced by his hiding his gnarled and misshapen hands from the camera, Charles then went on to celebrate the work of carers and volunteers. On its face, this wasn't a noticeably uh, controversial stance to adopt. It would, after all, take a pretty sour and squalid soul to argue that selfless public service doesn't make this weary, wicked world a tad less unbearable. However, his self-inclusion in that specific fold may have struck some ears as somewhat jarring note. Our care and compassion, he said. Obviously, I can't legislate the exact amount of compassion or empathy the chap feels for those whose incomes aren't swollen by hundreds of thousands of pounds per annum by a legal loophole that allows him to trouser the estate of the intestate in the Duchy of Lancaster. Perhaps their plight really does keep him up all night. But I'm bound to say that a cove who is reputed to have some flunky on hand to put toothpaste on his toothbrush for him might not be all that justified in claiming that he sweats himself to the bone in the service of others. Pure conjecture, I know, but can you picture him lifting a grossly deformed finger to help somebody? Back in his pre-monarchal days, during the uh, usual royal revels at Balmoral, do you think he ever helped Auntie Princess Margaret to bed after she'd inhaled her own body weight in gin? I can't see it myself, nor can I envision him holding back her hair while she threw up or getting busy with a sponge and warm water should she have shat herself. Thus it struck me as a touch rich for somebody to imply by so, for so much as a second that they know what it is to labour unrewarded on behalf of the less fortunate. From there he went on to point out that all religions, at least those faiths descended from the Abrahamic tradition, which are apparently the only ones that really matter, preach that one really oughtn't to be a selfish cad and should do to others as they would have them do unto them. Now let's leave aside the fact that most scriptures make the proviso that such thinking applies only to those who share one's specific beliefs, and that those who don't are fair game for enslavement or having their kiddies' heads dashed upon rocks and pick up the climactic point of his thesis. This was that the big fella upstairs saw it as our obligation to look after his creation, the planet Earth, and that should we, we, uh, that, that we should do our utmost not to fuck it up out of all recognition in pursuit of such ignoble ends as making money or avoiding death by hyperthermia. This was by far the most interesting portion of the whole spiel. The King's environmentalism is a matter of public record, and even this somewhat bland and tepid suggestion that we get on board the green train was rather a departure from decades of HM the Q's impersonal platitudes. 
Yet even when discussing a matter that we are led to believe is close to his ticker, he couched it in, uh, in such a sort of multi-faith homily rather than as a matter of practical urgency, thereby rather softening any point he might have wanted to make. Still, that's better than having Darren fucking Grimes off of GB News calling him woke, eh what? Really, one never expects much from these post-prandial regal ruminations, but this was weak source indeed. A point I might have made on Christmas Day itself, but, and now it's time for unflinching honesty, another reason that Arkham and I didn't go live with this episode is that, uh, because once Chuck's perorations had ground to a sludgy and inconclusive halt, I found myself utterly enthralled by Toy Story 4. In all honesty, I'd avoided the film when it came out because I saw it as an unnecessary cash grab that would have uh, added nothing to a perfectly realised and self-enclosed trilogy. But, uh, yeah, it, it got to me, Cats and Kittens. It really did. And that, I think, is the real takeaway from this whole business. A cynical Disney movie ended up offering far more food for philosophical thought and insight into the human condition than the carefully curated speech of the monarch of a sovereign state and, lest we forget, the defender of all faiths. Utter codswallop from start to finish is what it was, and until Wooly the Cowboy is anointed and enthroned, I'm not sure I'll bother watching another royal address ever again. We're off home now, but uh, we'll be troubling you with at least one more podcast before the year's out. So, uh, until then, from Arkham, the black and white dog, and myself, the silver fox, cheerio.